Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. Today, I have the opportunity of talking with Betsy Ham, CEO of Duck Donuts. We talk about how she got her start in PR and marketing and worked her way from marketing to operations and then now to the CEO role. We talk about the growth strategy behind franchising your business and why it's a huge opportunity. We also talk about what it takes to get a new location off the ground and tips on succeeding as a franchisee. Duck Donuts just hit the 100 store milestone and in 2022 is looking to open up 40 new locations. They are growing fast and picking up momentum. This is a great interview on how to grow a brand, how to find and maintain healthy partnerships, and then also how to build business processes into your business so that customers have a consistently great experience. I think you'll enjoy this interview. All right. Good morning, uh, Betsy. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. So where, where are you calling in from? I am calling from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. Great. I love Pennsylvania. I spent a couple years out there myself. I was in the Philadelphia area. Oh, nice. So, yep. Not too far from here. Yeah. So you've got the the beautiful weather going on right now with the trees turning and, you know, um, just the, I guess the world renowned, um, you know, the beauty of the, of the forests and the right. know, East coast fall and all that going on. Yes. It's beginning to look a little fall. I'm actually sitting out back and the trees are starting to turn. So Sometimes it makes me a little sad that summer's over, but fall's a great time to be in Pennsylvania for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love it. Well, um, we're going to get into your background, and uh, then we're also going to hear about Duck Donuts. But you know, before we we get there, why don't we start with a quote? Is there is there a quote that you know is impactful to you or is meaningful you uh, to you in some way? Yeah. So you know, I'm a big fan of quotes, and and I get emails that have great quotes just to kind of remind you of. Uh, different items throughout the days or weeks. Um, but one that has been really relevant to me, I'd say probably like the last year or two, just given everything that has been going on professionally is from Tony Robbins. And it's stop being afraid of what could go wrong and start being excited of what could go right. Yeah. And, and why, why is that meaningful to you? What do you, what do you take from that? 
<laughs> well, I've been, there's been a lot of change, obviously, professionally, which we'll talk about, of course, and even just, of course, in the world um, the last year or two. So it's really easy, I think, to start questioning, you know, what am I doing? Is this the right thing? You know, this could be, I could do this wrong and this could happen and this can be right. Um, and you start to doubt yourself. So I think it's really easy to do that. Um, and worry about all the things that maybe won't work out um, versus thinking about, wait, okay, there's a lot of great opportunity. There's change on the horizon and this could be really great. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And it's definitely <laughs> relevant uh, in, t- in today's world and just even just more globally what's going on, right? Um, we can focus on everything that's going wrong in the world. We can do the the doom scrolling. I guess that's my, my new oh, favorite yeah. term, you know? Oh, I like that. Um, yeah and focusing on, on everything that's going bad. But if we look for those opportunities, I think we'll definitely see it. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So tell us just a, a little bit about yourself. You know, it looks like you, you worked at, um, at Hershey entertainment, um, and yeah. resorts. And so I want to hear a little bit about that, but maybe even start before then, you know, where, where'd you go to school? Where are you from? That kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so I spent my really entire life in Pennsylvania. So I grew up in New York, Pennsylvania, um, went to Shippensburg University as a communications journalism major, um, wanted to do something PR actually was was where my head was at in the beginning, um, but ended up having an internship at Hershey Entertainment Resorts and Marketing and realized that I really liked the marketing world. Um, so ended up with my first actually my second job. I worked at a media agency right out of college. Um, but then I worked at Hershey Entertainment and Resorts for 15 years in various marketing roles. So um, my job in all those roles was really to drive people to the town of Hershey, um, which is the sweetest place on earth and is home to Hershey Park, which is an amusement park, uh, chocolate spa, resort. Um, also did some marketing for the concert series that we would have during the summer, the Hershey Bears AHL hockey team. So um, just various reasons to come to Hershey was really my job. So spent, like I said, 15 years of my career there and those various marketing roles. And obviously it's an amazing brand, um, certainly world renowned from a Hershey perspective. And of course, because of the chocolate piece of that and, you know, had a great job and loved my team and loved the brand, but was always kind of keeping an eye out for what could be next. And one of my friends had said, hey, you know, Duck Donuts is opening a corporate headquarters in the Harrisburg area, looking for someone to come in and build their marketing team. You know, would you be interested in meeting with them? And I had never even heard of Duck Donuts at the time. Um, So, you know, did some quick research, found out that people who went to the Outer Banks, which is in North Carolina, um, Mm -hmm. who go vacation there, knew what Duck Donuts was. And I found out my friends who go there loved it, just had this cult-like following um, of these warm made-to-order donuts that at the time were really only available in the Outer Banks. So I met with the founder and CEO and realized, wow, okay, this, this is a great product. And he had this great vision of making this a household name and being able to provide warm made delicious warm made to order donuts um, throughout the country so um, it was a marketer's dream of course to take a brand that really needed to build a foundation of you know kind of updating the logo and what's the brand strategy and creating a voice and just literally starting from scratch Um, so I made the jump to Duck Donuts and that was five years ago I've been with Duck Donuts for five years um, build out the marketing team the first year and a half and then Russ who is the, the founder and CEO said I think you need to oversee operations as well. You know, I'd like to Mm. promote you to COO, which of course for a marketing person to oversee operations makes a lot of people twitch. We all think very (laughs) differently. Um, Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering a little bit about, you know, um, were there any particular skills that he saw in you that, that, 
you know, made him think that you could do a good job at that? And obviously you yeah. have, and you've advanced since then. <laughs> yes, I think it was the, you know, growing up in the Hershey culture, we worked very collaboratively with operations. You know, marketing wasn't able to be in a silo. So I had the ability to think big picture, be able to connect the dots, understand where operations, you know, does have concerns and make it mm-hmm. um, caught up in being a little black and white or in execution mode. So I understood that thought process. Um, so I think being having that ability to be able to look at the big picture and understand where we're trying to go and to help the operations get there as well um, was where his head was at, which worked out. So <laughs> it was, you know, a good move for sure. Um, so, yeah, so I did that job for about three years. And then um, just in April, Russ decided that he had taken the company, you know, as far as he could essentially on his own. So we had started the process for looking for um, some some capital infusion, essentially, and somebody who had that expertise of franchising and really scaling a brand. Um, so we ended up bringing in a partner, uh, New Spring, who um, owns majority of the company now. And part of that deal is, is Russ wanted to step back um, as CEO. So he's still on the board, you know, obviously still involved. Um, but at that time, then um, I was named CEO just six months ago. So it's been quite the roller coaster ride. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, congratulations. You're obviously doing something right. Thank you. um, So you mentioned, uh, you know, I want to dig into the brand a little bit, you know, and so obviously there's a lot of donut shops, you know, all over the um, the United States, all over the world. You know, why do you think that Duck is, you know, so famous and kind of has this, that that following? I mean, cult-like is, you know, probably the way to describe it. People who (laughs) love Duck Donuts love Duck Donuts, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we really... What we really strive for is, is delivering a superior product with exceptional customer service. And you know, when you walk into a duck donut, there aren't any donuts case. Um, everything is made to order. So you go up to the cash register if you're in store and um, everything is a vanilla cake donut. So you choose your coatings, your toppings and drizzles. So that means you could order um, a vanilla icing with Oreos or maybe a maple with bacon. Um, and we customize your donuts. And the great part is you get to watch the entire process. So you literally see your donuts in the fryer being dropped um, and then seeing them pop as well. So everything happens in the front of the house. And then they hand you a box of warm donuts with a smile on their face. Um, So I think just having that experience and having that customer service is really what differentiates us. And of course, the product is amazing. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I don't know if Ross thought about this when he created the brand, what, 13 years ago. Um, but I think the fact that we are duck donuts is certainly different. I think it captures people's attention when the first time they hear about it. They're like, what, what's duck? Like, why are you called duck donuts? Do you duck fat? You know, what's the deal? And, and of course, <laughs> it's really because of one of the first locations opened in duck, North Carolina. So that's how we ended up with the name. So it ended up being something that is a little clever and different. Um, that I think helps to kind of get people's attention. And then once they're in the store or once they even have a donut, maybe out at an event, um, it really is an amazing product. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, the the investment in made to owner, uh, made to order, is, is substantial, right? I, I think you know, there's an argument to be made if you just, you know, you had pre-made donuts, you know, you could do it cheaper, you could serve more people. You know, why do you think that element of it is is really important? Um, I think the fact that it's fresh is is number one. You know, you're and you're not going to walk in and sure, maybe very rarely, especially nowadays, we may be out of. Oreo or something because of supply chain. But, um, you know, sometimes you walk into a bakery or another donut shop and they're out of your favorite donut, but that very rarely happens with us. So I think it's being able to deliver on the customer expectation, um, as well as with a fresh product um, that, you know, was literally just made. 
and the personalization piece of it, you know, people love to be able to make choices. So the fact that, you know, if you want to get creative and add a couple different toppings, um, you're really able to customize that donut and to make it anything that you want it to be. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that the personalization aspect is, is, is amazing. Do you think that there are other, you know, and I'm sure there are, have you thought of any other businesses or any other sort of retail um, typed experiences that could be transformed by doing something similar? Right. Mm, that's a good question. I mean, of course, it, I kind of compare us to um, like some of the burrito shops. So, you know, take like a Chipotle, you get to choose how you build your burrito. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think even when look at the sandwich shops, I mean, sandwich shops are like Jersey Mike's are doing so well right now. And I think it does go back to that fact of the simplification of, you know, getting exactly what you want. Um, and being able to build it from scratch. So that is an interesting question. Is there other brands out there that maybe now aren't um, that personalized or customized that could benefit from being? That's a great point. Right. Um, And and I'm sure um, there are trade-offs, you know, obviously. Do you mind maybe elaborating a little bit on the trade-offs of making that decision of being so personalized? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's timing and it's this decision. So, um, you know, if it's the first time you've walked into a duck donuts, it can be very overwhelming because you can fill them. Um, we have gotten better with our point of sale information of having um, some suggestions. So we will show you some dozen donuts that are already built. So you can just point and say, oh, yeah, that looks good. And that looks good. And that looks good. Um, we also offer seasonal assortments as well. So there's assortments that are changing by the season. So, of course, now we're in fall. So it's a pumpkin donut, it's an apple donut. Um, but it can be overwhelming for customers if it's the first time that they're in there. And then the other piece of that, of course, is it just slows it slows it down. So um, we, of course, have continued to see our online sales build, especially over the last year and a half. Um, so having that experience online is also a little challenging for us when you're building a donut because, of course, it's very visual. And right mm-hmm. now our experience is, you know, pick the donut, add the drizzle or add the coating, add the drizzle, any topping. Um, so it does take a little bit longer and isn't always um, the best user experience for sure. So I think that is the one negative side um, of it is the ability to be as quick as we'd like to be. I mean, ideally, it shouldn't take more than I would say five minutes for once you order to, for someone to hand you your box of donuts. Um, but you know, there's a couple of process steps into that from ordering, from the donuts being dropped and fried, and then of course the toppings and handing it to them. So um, it is more of a cumbersome process versus if you walked in and we already had the donuts sitting there, you know, case for you just to pick one and, and to grab it and go. Sure, sure. And you guys offer some, you know, um, pretty unique flavors um, that they are pre-made and suggestions, like you said, um, you know, like a like a bacon in the sun or a blueberry yeah. pancake, you know, yep. which you don't typically think of as, as a donut. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess, uh, first of all, what's your favorite or do you have a unique combination that you particularly like? I um, do. And you know what? Yeah. It's actually the one that's available right now. So it's the apple pie donut. So it's that warm vanilla cake donut. Um, with an apple pie filling that sits in the middle and you can even get fancy and add some streusel to that or some vanilla drizzle. Um, but that's my favorite donut. That's only available for a limited time, um, but that's my go-to. So when it's this time of year, I'm always excited to see that on the menu. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a huge like pumpkin guy, but apple pie, I'm, I have a major weakness. So that's right? amazing. So good. Um, and then if you want to get really fancy, you can get that with an ice cream sundae. So we do do donut ice cream sundaes, a little scoop of ice cream on top of that. And it's like, you know, <laughs> apple pie a la mode. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so I guess let's, um, let, let's talk just a little bit about the, the growth of the company, right? So you guys were, was, was it, we were acquired in April? Is that what happened? Correct. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. And so why don't you, you tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, what led up to that and what that means for Duck Donuts going forward? Sure. So as I mentioned, you know, Russ as being the founder and the entrepreneur who really started this knew that he could only take it so far. Uh, so we hit 100 locations in February, which is a really great milestone. And actually, we've learned that's only a milestone that 16% of franchise brands make it to. Wow. Um, so we're really excited to have that happen. Um, so Russ's intention of, of bringing in a private equity partner with somebody, of course, from a capital standpoint, but then also um, an expertise standpoint for working with somebody who's been there and done that and, and knew what sort of tools and resources we needed to scale. Um, so six months into the relationship, obviously, we're figuring out how we move forward together, but they have been awesome in terms of the resources and expertise standpoint, um, very connected within the franchise industry. Um, one of the partners was a CEO for a franchise brand, so he understands, um, you know, franchising is different. It's a different world as being a franchisor. It's different with franchisees. Um, so him understanding that and being able to really help us, um, you know, make some of those decisions or realize maybe we're missing some resources, um, they're able to bring that to the table and, and have those conversations um, to help us grow. Because while we've been opening about 20 locations a year on average, this year we'll open right around 20, um, we really want to accelerate growth at this point. So we're looking to open 40 shops next year. So that's quite the jump, of course, to be doubling what your output is in store opening. And that you know, has to be backed up into our franchise sales pipeline and how many we're selling and where we're selling them. Um, so just really focus on the growth piece. Of course, adding additional locations. We're trying to get to that 300 location number here in the next three or four years. But the other piece of that is looking at our current franchisees and how to help support them better. Um, so we are very focused on growing our average unit volumes, not just adding additional locations, but you know what tools and resources and support do we need to give our franchisees who are small business owners um, the tools to succeed? Yeah. Um, so why don't we um, why don't we step back just a little bit and and maybe talk about how you know Duck Donuts obviously wasn't started as a franchise. You know, you had the one location um, in, in North Carolina. Um, you know, why why um, did you guys make the decision to franchise? And, and maybe you could just give us even a, you know, franchise 101. You know, why might um, a, a business like yours decide to start franchising um, sure. and expanding in that way? Yes. So when Russ started uh, Duck Donuts in the Outer Banks in 2007, it was really on a whim. Um, he was an entrepreneur at heart, and he actually had a healthcare business that you know was doing very well, and really had no intentions of, you know, becoming a franchise company down the road. Um, so he opened the first two locations because he saw a need. There was, you know, there wasn't warm, there wasn't donuts actually at the time in the Outer Banks. So he just saw this need of being able to deliver donuts that he remembered having at the boardwalk um, when he was growing up at the beach. Um, so that's how it started. And it started with two locations. And, you know, the first couple of years they struggled. And, you know, he said at one point it was sort of like, okay, this is go or no go time. You know, if it doesn't start to pick up on this third year, we're going to have to think about um, shutting down. And suddenly the third year is where it really took off. You know, a lot of the same people come back to the Outer Banks year after year. So it really was able to build that loyalty. Um, so those two locations ended up doing really well. And they ended up opening two additional locations in the Outer Banks. And constantly people were asking them to bring duck donuts to their hometown. You know, they were disappointed that they could only get these amazing donuts once a year. Um, so they had tried like flash freezing donuts and, and sending them, you know, shipping them to people in the off season, which I can't imagine 
how that worked out, but they did it. Uh, that was before my time. Um, but you know, just, it was the constant noise of people saying, wow, you really should, you should franchise this or you should open corporate stores or whatever. And of course, as an entrepreneur, when you're looking at trying to build off a brand, if you're going to do corporate stores, it's going to take a lot more of your own money and time um, to build that out and, you know, not knowing the markets outside of where you are and, and this and that, there's a lot of pieces that come into it. So they had made the decision to try franchising, um, which they had received a lot of inquiries about people asking if they could um, mm. before they were even doing it. So, you know, then they went back to that list and ended up opening the first franchise location in Williamsburg, Virginia in 2013. Um, so I can't imagine the work that went into, even from a legal perspective, that everything that needs to be done from franchising. But, you know, as a franchisor, the benefit is we have this ability to build and scale our brands quicker than, you know, if we were doing on our own with corporate stores. And, you know, we have um, 105 locations in the U.S., I'd say about 75 franchisees, um, but they know their market, they know it works. And what makes Duck Donuts, I think, also unique is the fact that our franchisees who are involved in their local community see the most success. So, you know, they're the ones that they might not be making donuts every day, but, you know, they're involved with schools or churches or businesses, um, fundraisers. And if, if local community members are going in, they can recognize the franchisee. They know that they're the owner. Um, just having that ability to have that tie to the local community and really put a face um, with the store, I think has been very important and why we have seen so much success with our franchise company. So, um, you know, for a franchise, you know, what's a typical model, you know, like, um, you know, let's say that, that I wanted to open up Duck Donuts here in Provo, you know, would that relationship look like with you? How much of, of that would I actually own? Are there, you know, fees that you pay back to the, um, you know, to the corporate company? You know, how does that work sure. for people who aren't familiar with the franchise model? First of all, I think that's a great idea. We need more locations in Utah. So <laughs> um, but typically, here. I'm sure you guys yeah. would do well. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Um, but typically what you would do is, is you would go to our website, you fill out a quick little inquiry application. It goes for a development team. Um, they give you a call. They try to understand, you know, where are you looking to open? Obviously, we have parameters of where we want to open, of course, based on demographics and based on household income, you know, are there other duck donuts in that area? Um, so all those things go into um, the decision of, if, is this great to open in this town? Um, so that as we go through that process, you know, we're both getting to know each other. So we, this is a partnership. It's like a marriage. I mean, this is a long-term relationship. You're, you're signing a 10-year agreement. Um, so having those conversations of where you want to be, how you're going to operate it. Um, we do a discovery day where typically the, the potential franchisee comes in person. You know, we share about what the support is that we provide. So from a franchise perspective, we provide the support of um, real estate, helping you find a location, you know, helping you negotiate the terms with the landlord, uh, determining what is the best location. We help throughout the entire construction process um, that's usually done on a local level. So just making sure from a project management standpoint, everything's getting done that needs to be done. And then, of course, there's a training piece. So uh, many of our franchisees don't have food experience or franchising experience. So making sure our franchisees understand the business model, um, you know, how to handle their P&L, how to handle the training, staffing, understanding cost of goods, all of the things that go into that. So um, we have what we call Duck Donuts University. So our franchisees will come to that probably about two months before they open. And there's in-classroom training. And then there's also in-store training where, of course, you have to learn how to make a donut and how to make make it look beautiful. Um, and all of those pieces that go with just operating a business. And then once the location opens, we send a training team on site to assist with the opening, making sure that that staff, that frontline staff 
um, is up to speed and, and understands how to operate in their various roles. Um, and then from there, we still have ongoing support. So it's not that a franchisee just opens their doors and once they're open, we're like, see ya. Um, obviously, we have an invested interest. You're representing our brand. So we want to make sure all of our locations are up to brand standards and Again, making sure the donuts look right and taste right and customer service is there and the stores are clean and they all look the same um, from a consistency standpoint. So we provide ongoing support in order to help you do that from an operational perspective as well as marketing. So we handle marketing from a national perspective and a national approach. Um, and it's really on the franchisees to handle it on a local level. They know their market best. They have the ability to connect with the customers in their market. But we will give them all the tools and resources in order to do that. Uh, to succeed so they can download coupons and flyers you know we have a site where all of that information and all those marketing pieces are created um so yeah our goal is to make our franchisees successful and from a financial standpoint you know, there's a franchise fee up front depending on how many you buy the fee varies but if you're buying one location there's a forty thousand dollar franchise fee and then there's the build out cost of your of the store which is on the franchisee and that can vary um, you know, maybe somewhere from 200000 to 350000 um, but paying for the build out of the store, but also, of course, the equipment piece of that. So the fryers and the hood and the point of sale system and everything that goes into operating the store. And then from an ongoing perspective, um, every franchise system has a royalty as well as a marketing fee. So 5% royalty and 2% goes to a marketing fund that then, of course, goes back to support the stores from a national perspective. Yeah, interesting. So the type of, um, you know, entrepreneur that would be a good candidate, you know, to, to franchise a, a Duck Donuts, is there, are there any characteristics that you're looking for? Or is there, I guess, another way to ask, is there anything in particular um, that your current franchisees, um, you know, maybe a profile that they fit or something that they're looking for or the type of business they want to run, you know, who is this for? Like, who's a good candidate? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's somebody who wants to be a small business owner, but needs the support and resources of uh, a bigger company or, you know, someone else to help them do that. So, you know, you really have to have that ability to operate independently, but stay within the system. Like I said, you know, it can't be, you know, Ken's Donuts, it has to be Duck Donuts. So making sure they have the ability to follow the system and structure and, and uh, rules is probably a fair word to use. Um, but also the ability to operate independently and own the fact that, you know, they're responsible for driving sales and they're responsible for making sure that their staff is, um, you know, providing a quality product. Um, so those are some of the pieces that we sort of look for. We do a predictive assessment or predictive, sorry, predictive index assessment um, mm -hmm. when we're going through the interview process. So that really measures behavior. So we do have a um, ideal profile based off of our most successful franchisees you know, of what we're looking for, um, which is really helpful. And that kind of helps us make the decision because our franchisees have various backgrounds. I mean, we have, we might have accountants and teachers and salespeople and um, someone who worked in marketing or whatever it is. So there's varying backgrounds of franchisees that have been in our system. Um, but at the end of the day, I think anyone can be successful if they have the right drive and understand how to benefit from the tools and the resources of our franchise system. And of course, capital needs some capital to be able to do this as well. Yeah, it seems like you, you get kind of benefits of, of both worlds. You get the support of, of, a, of a bigger business, a bigger brand, you know, nationwide brand. Um, right. but you get to, to, to run it independently, locally. Um, yeah. And then also just, just the benefit of like a proven system and a proven Absolutely. product, you know, that, Absolutely. that people love. 
Yeah, it's, it's proven. And, and, you know, there's, of course, there's been mistakes that have been made for the years. So us have already learning from those mistakes. Um, you know, it takes away that learning curve for a franchisee. And I always tell our franchisees, we have 75 other people doing exactly what you're doing. So the willingness and the ability for our franchisees to be connected within their own system, I think it's huge that, you know, if they have a question of, you know, how do you do weddings or how do you do corporate events or, you know, what's the best way to keep my team engaged or whatever it is. Um, you know, there's 75 other franchisees that they can pick up the phone and say, hey, what's best for you? You know, being able to share those best practices within the system, I think, is a huge benefit of being part of a franchise company. And do you have any of your franchisees, um, you know, where you can um, maybe highlight, you know, an area or, you know, somebody that's doing particularly well, you know, and why you think that might be? Yes, absolutely. So we do try to highlight best practices. Um, from franchisees, everyone seems to have a little niche, you know, maybe it's someone who does really well with weddings, um, or someone who does really well with fundraising for schools. So we do highlight that stuff across the system, we have a weekly newsletter that goes out. Um, Or, you know, I was visiting with franchisees earlier this summer, and the one franchisee in Florida was talking about how she wanted to do more schools. I'm like, okay, great. And we know that we can, I'm like, let me connect you with this franchisee in North Carolina. You know, she can tell you what she's been doing with school. So just being able to have that ability to sort of connect the dots and connect them with each other when we know what's something that they're focused on is super important. Yeah, that's interesting. So from your perspective, you know, as a CEO, how do you go about finding, you know, like what, what does the marketing and sales um, look like, you know, when, when you're trying to find, you know, potential franchisees? So good question. And the funny part is up until this year, we have not been proactive in um, franchise sales. So every franchise that we have sold, it's been because somebody went to a location, had a great experience and wanted to open up Duck Donuts in their town. So um, it's amazing that we got to a hundred locations by being uh, reactive to just what was coming in. So we actually now this year have started to spend a little bit of um, advertising dollars to target franchisees. Um, And we actually just hired a a new partner who's going to help us generate additional leads. So we're finalizing that plan. A lot of it's going to be coming down to, you know, sort of what we talked about, like, why do I want to be a franchise? You know, what's the benefit? Um, Who are we targeting? What are we saying to them? Um, And of course, most of that's going to be done through digital advertising. Typically, trade shows has been an area of opportunity for franchising. Of course, it's been a little rough (laughs) the last year and a half, (laughs) but hopefully as trade shows come back in. Um, in 2022, being able to, to attend those and have conversations with those people in person. And, you know, now that we've hit that 100 location mark, um, I think that we'll have the ability to also go after that more sophisticated franchisee. And by that, I mean somebody who already has other franchise brands. So um, that's something that we're focused on in 2022. There's a lot of groups or organizations who may own, you know, 10 or 15 locations, or maybe there's some who own hundreds of locations, but, you know, some of the ones that are a little bit smaller who own another brand, this would make a, a great second brand for them that would be complementary to what they're already doing. Uh, so that'll be a focus for us moving forward as well. Got it. Yeah, let's let's double click a little bit on you know the way COVID um, has affected the business. You know, so um, you know obviously you guys are retail. Um, you go there to pick up the donuts. You know, how is how have you guys weathered uh, COVID? And has it you know for a lot of businesses, it's actually been good for them. You know, and then maybe some broader changes in in the industry that you see coming. 
sure. So, you know, just I think like everyone, the first couple months of 2020 were rough when COVID hit just because, you know, I, a lot of times we are product that people pick up when they're on their way, you know, to somewhere else, grocery store or whatever. A lot of our traffic was morning traffic. So we call them our office heroes. So people will come in and grab a dozen donuts to take to the office. Obviously, people aren't going to the office. So um, the first part um, of or really the middle part of like March through June was certainly a rough time for us. But we really saw our franchisees rally and we started talking about sprinkling happiness throughout our local communities. And that, you know, have to give the franchisees total credit for because they started doing it on their own, you know, dropping donuts off at frontline workers, essential workers, you know, firefighters, police, um, grocery stores, wherever um, people were still working. Um, And that really took off. So we started to see our sales rebound by the end of the summer. Um, just because, yes, things were really rough, but let's be honest, people want a little happiness and even donut makes people happy. Um, so started to see our sales improve through um, the last half of 2020. Now that we're in 2021, um, our sales have been great. The good news is, is that we're up same store sales over 2019 numbers. So it's yeah. hard to always compare 2020, um, right. but seeing our store sales up over 2019 has been great. You know, I think the other great piece that too is we talk a lot about franchise sales is we're also seeing a lot of interest in franchise sales because as everybody went through this crazy change that nobody anticipated, people start to question, you know, their corporate jobs or what they're doing or should they be doing something differently or maybe they lost their jobs. So um, seeing a change of just why or, or how people are coming to us based off of what's happened the last, you know, 18 months. Um, so yeah, we certainly had to make a lot of the changes of um, like a lot of the other restaurant quick service brands did. Luckily, most of our um, traffic is to go orders anyway. Um, But even changing how we were doing that from, you know, curbside pickup, luckily we had just launched an app and a loyalty program right before COVID hit. So, you know, seeing more traffic coming in through the app, through online sales, uh, through third-party delivery, you know, all those things have certainly seen an increase, which I don't think we're going to see go away. Um, So we'll continue to be, convenience was important before COVID, um, but I think that really has accelerated the importance of making sure we have the best user experience from a technology standpoint, when people aren't coming into the store and ordering and when they're making those orders, you know, whether it's on their app or on our website. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of um, like CPG brands, um, you know, obviously pick up their online game, right? Like everybody's yeah. had to figure out e-commerce um, very quickly. Um, you know, so for retail, you know, I'm thinking, you know, things like curbside delivery or even drive through, you know, um, doing things like launching an app, website, all of those things to make it more convenient uh, for, for customers, um, yep. you know, and in a lot of ways, just even make it possible for them to, to access your product, your services, you know? Yep, so. exactly. Oh, interesting. All right. So, you know, let's talk just a little bit about um, going forward, right? We're at the tail end of, of 2021. You know, you guys sound like you've had a, a pretty successful year, you know, what's, what's next for you guys? What are you, um, you know, what are you looking forward to? Um, really the last, I would say two or three months, we've been focused on setting ourselves up for this um, growth. So, you know, looking at our structure, looking at our people, looking at our tools, resources, partners, um, so making sure we have all those puzzle pieces um, right so that when we really put the pedal down next year and open 40 locations, we have the team and the resources to support that. So um, what got us to 100 stores isn't going to get us to 200 stores. Um, So really being focused on what we do need in order to achieve that has been what we're focused on. So did our strategic plan for 20, actually we did our strategic plan for the next three years. 
Um, you know, and of course we talked about the numbers piece of that of opening those 300 locations, but what are all the other pieces that come into that? And of course that goes into the customer experience that goes into training, marketing, the brand, um, what the store of the future looks like, you know, those are probably some of the biggest elements, um, that as we continue to scale, we have to make sure we are, um, at the level that we need to be for all of those priorities as well. Well, let's, let's switch gears. Let's go to the quick fire round. I've just got four questions for you. Um, just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Um, okay. And then we can, we can wrap things up. Um, what is um, one tool or resource that you find invaluable? Um, well, especially given what I just said about the strategic planning piece right now, what's been really important is that um, it's a book called Traction, and it's the entrepreneur operating system and, and how to set up really your company. Um, so even though we've been around, just to make sure that our foundation is strong. So that has been my tool of 2021 for sure. Yeah. Um, interesting. I, I think that's by the founder of DuckDuckGo. Is that right? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Maybe. Gabe something. And, and and I'm sure Traction is actually a common name for a book. So, um, oh, okay. I bet there's a, there's a few different ones. Um, what is uh, one book or resource uh, that you could recommend to the audience? Um, I have two, that, and they kind of tie together. One is What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. And the other one is Jim Collins, Good to Great. Okay, yeah. Um, what's one uh, piece of advice that you would give your 21-year-old self? <laughs> there's so many things to say one <laughs> um you know i think to uh drown out the noise i think sometimes especially when you're 21 you may be worried if if things aren't going the way that you think they are but you know i think you just have to determine what you want to do and figure out how you're going to get there and drown out the noise of other people and then last um who's somebody in, in your field of work that maybe you look up to or uh, you know a brand or company that you watch the, that you'd love to take to lunch Oh, there's so many. You know what's great? In the franchise company that or in the franchise system, there are so many people who are willing to talk and have great conversations, which I have made a lot of friends and totally appreciate that. Um, two people who I haven't talked to, I give you two answers for everything that you asked for one. I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. They're two is um, good. One is because I just read the book. Um, and it's kind of funny. It's, it's the Dunkin' Donuts book that came out and Bob Rosenberg, he is the son of the founder of Dunkin' Donuts. And I just read mm. his book a couple um, uh, months ago and it just, it was, it's so relevant and relatable to where we are right now. Um, so I would, I would love to sit down and be able to pick his brain because he's been there and done that. And, and I think that would be great. And then the other one is the CEO of Jersey Mike's because they have just had amazing growth over the last several years. And, you know, they remind me of duck donuts, obviously sandwich brand, but just sort of have that kind of beachy feel. I think being involved in the community is really important. Um, so we'd love to hear how he's gotten to where they are with Jersey Mike. Nice. All right. In conclusion, um, what, um, you know, I guess, first of all, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you um, or, or connect with you or somebody was interested in, in a franchise, what, um, you know, what's the best way to, to move forward to connect? Sure. So connecting with me, probably best bet is on LinkedIn. You can certainly find me on LinkedIn. And then if you're interested in franchising opportunities, uh, visiting duckdonuts.com and there's a franchising page where you can get a, a lot more information than what I talked about. And we'll connect you with our development team as well. Awesome. And then, you know, just lastly, some parting words for, you know, other fellow food entrepreneurs out there. Um, you know, there are people who've, you know, just started either CPG brand or a food business of some kind. Um, that are just trying to trying to make it. So they're in the grind right now. What advice would you give them? 
You know, I would say the biggest thing is to make sure that you have a solid foundation and make sure you have the right people on your team to help you get there. Uh, that's one thing that, that Russ was really great at early on is he knew what he was great at and he knew what he needed other people um, to help him do and not to get caught behind. So making sure you have the right team and, and resources is, is key to be able to grow. Awesome. Well, Betsy, I appreciate you taking the time today. This has been a great interview and I'm sure um, people are going to take a lot from this. So thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> All right. See ya. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for Physical Product Movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.